Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranla, called but of a gun put into the back of your skull, that's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm Not Here to Hurt You, a brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and you're very welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Wecker, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunny Independent. This week we're talking about NFTs, blockchain, crypto, and I'm joined by Laurie Kyo, uh, adjunct associate professor at Trinity College Business School and director of digital assets at BNY Mellon. Laurie, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thanks, Adrian. Okay, NFTs. A lot of people struggle to get their head around this, and I have to say that I'm in one sense one of them. I'm not struggling to get my idea around the idea of a token in the blockchain that points at something. I'm struggling at the idea of somebody selling a painting at auction for $69 million. Not a painting, though, but a digital canvas that an NFT points to, conferring some kind of ownership or uh, rights uh, to it. We'll kind of get into that. I mean, you you know what I'm talking about, don't you? The artist Beeple, the Mike Winkleman, who sold his digital canvas for $69 million through Christie's. You saw that, right? Yeah, I did. I did. And what a story. Um, amazing. It's an amazing story, but it's also a kind of a bit of a head wrecker in terms of what did the buyer actually get on the day of the auction? And what Christie says is they got a signed token um, with a dedicated place in the blockchain that points to a digital work that people made. So not necessarily the original file. People has that. Not the copyright to the file um, uh, or other intellectual rights associated, associated with, just the right to say that they own it or they own the first edition of it or the first version of it. Um, <laughs> I mean, we can, there's a there's a broader conversation about art, and I have views on that because what what is appreciation for art? Why is something worth a million dollars versus a hundred million dollars versus one dollar? There's that whole argument, but then there is the suspicion among cynics that this is all a little bit of a scam, that it's a bit of a kind of a crypto gone absolutely ultra mad. Um, I don't fully subscribe to that, but. I I understand why people say that. Do you, do you have any sympathy with that? Um, look, I think you know over over many centuries, people have um, I guess 
placed value on certain items, whether they be, you know, seashells or a, a metal, as the case may be. And I mm -hmm. think really what we're seeing is this movement into um, the ownership and unique ownership of digital assets um, and di digital representations of physical assets. So see, see well, what is that, in my head, this is where it, it all gets interesting because, because what does that actually mean? So let's take the, the, the digital artwork that people sold, for example, actually, it's not just him. There's an Irish guy called Kevin Abosh. I'm not sure if, if you know him, he's a um, famous photographer, entrepreneur. Um, he, if anyone who walked through, uh, Dublin's Terminal 2 airport about 10 years ago would have seen all those portraits up against the wall. That was him. He sold a portrait of a potato for a million dollars uh, at around wow. the same time. Uh, but anyway, he's doing very well at the moment with NFT art. He's made about <clears throat> 1.5 million in the last six weeks. Um, you can go on to OpenSea, which is an NFT art marketplace, and uh, you'll see his, uh, his work there. Uh, they sell for an average of around... About six or seven thousand dollars, I think, uh, ten thousand dollars. But ownership, this idea of what you're actually getting, because if I buy a painting for sixty million, I, I, it's there's only one painting. I put it up on my wall. It's a major talking point when I invite people over to my three bed semi um, to 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 look at it. Um, you know, people write about it, um, etc. When I buy an NFT linked piece of art. It's not clear. To, uh, what I'm buying is a signed token, and essentially, it looks like the author's contractual declaration that I am now the owner of the original digital work. Um, but you know, it, there's nothing unique about that, other than the fact that he says that it's the first, uh, the first version of that. There's no difference whatsoever. In something that I can copy and paste, um, you know, around the internet. You know, do you know what I mean? See, we see where the the head wreck element comes from. No, I do. I, I, I guess, and I think it comes back to um, how is this different? How is this valuable? Why do people care? Mm. Um, Absolutely, they're all yeah, they're all good questions, right? And uh, and I think when you come across any technology, when it's when it's new, these are all questions that people are trying to understand. And there's a great you know um, interview between I think. Bill Gates and um, David Letterman mm. as uh, they're explaining what the internet is. And it, and I think we're at kind of one of those moments as, as blockchain technology, uh, and we do have to bring that in, and I'm not trying to shoehorn it in, um, to explain how and why an NFT is, is unique. Mm. So a, a non-fungible token, and the name itself, isn't particularly helpful. Uh, I think fungible it, you know, is a great word. I mean, I don't know why they call it fungible. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, look, also, look, I've, you know, I um, I speak to uh, economists and bankers, and you know, I, I was talking to one recently, and I said fiat um, huh. in relation to currency, and he was like, "What's fiat?" Um, Italian car, yeah. I, I, and I have to explain, no, no, as in as in kind of cash, as in old money, not digital money. And he was like, "Wow, I've just." I've just never heard that term before. And the guy was, you know, very successful. And, you know, what? Uh, he'd never he, heard this. He'd never heard of the term fiat coast currency. Fiat was not a term. Wow. Um, Maybe it was the way you pronounced it because you are emphasizing the set. <laughs> you're going fiat there. Whereas most people would probably say fiat. 
<laughs> maybe, maybe for um, uh, for some of my colleagues. But um, anyway, look, I thought it was interesting. So look, bring, bringing this back, why does anybody care about these uh, these non fungible tokens? I think the way I look at it is is that it's accessibility. So what tokenization as a broader topic does is tokens make um, an an asset more accessible uh, or make the underlying asset more accessible to a greater audience. So if there is an expensive piece of art or if there is an expensive piece of property or Mm. a car, as the case may be, if you turn it into a set of tokens or fractional ownership is another term that gets thrown Mm. around, um, that creates a bigger potential investor base into that asset as the case may be or into part ownership of that asset it, um, it does but does it is there also not um the risk of a bubble forming so and what i mean by that i you've given an excellent ec- explanation there but if you take say um i'm trying to think of something that you might uh, attach say jack dorsey's tweet it's a bit of a trivial example he sold his first tweet uh, for $2.9 million. Um, now, if I were to say, well, I'd like a piece of that tweet, um, and the person who bought it decided to, say, resell you know, one thousandth uh, of, of that tweet via a token, I mean, I might buy that because I like the idea of owning a part of it, but I um, is there value like and supposing he th- this person makes 10 million dollars out of doing that now you can flip an asset p- p- you know for a 300% markup in in other things but the, the, this idea of where the value lies and whether there's a bubble forming here when and and then the specter of derivatives uh, enters my mind anyway i'm now back watching wall street the second version and and how derivatives kind of explode the market. So mm. this idea, and, and also this is a, another piece of this thing that had, it gives me a bit of a head wreck. The idea that a token gives you ownership or rights, say, to thing A, but there are lots of tokens that could point to that thing, right? Aren't there? I mean, it's not that there's only one, there'll only ever would be one token, for example, that can point to um, a digital asset. There are potentially hundreds of tokens that could do that, right? A hundred percent. And so so let's say if there is a piece of art or, you know, geez, uh, I remember growing up, but I, I dreamed of owning, you know, a Ferrari Testarossa yep. or something like that, which I have appreciated in value over time. So I couldn't afford it then, I can't afford it now. Um, but I might be able to afford a, a token of that. And so mm. what the owner might do is they might set up, yeah, look, we're going to split this Ferrari up into 100 tokens and we'll sell it. You know, each token is um, a thousand each, as the case may be. Um, now, each each token will be, will be unique um, and there'll only ever be 100 tokens created. And that can be set by the company. We're only going to create 100. That is it. And each... Each token that's created has a unique identifier, and this is where blockchain technology comes in. And one of the kind of key features around blockchain technology is is this thing called scarcity, which effectively means that there are tokens that are issued, and only one of that token will ever be mm. issued, and, and and that's it. And so you're able to say that you know what, Adrian, I have a token, and you have a token. Um, we have, we combined, we have two of the 100 tokens for that specific Ferrari. So although our tokens both give us, I guess, um, token ownership of that Ferrari. They are completely different um, and unique yeah. tokens. 
Um, you, goes, you're, you're invoking the idea of shares here, really, of kind of unique, um, non-divisible shares. That's that's the idea that I get from listening to you. Um, you describe getting, it that way. You, you're you're moving into, and this is why um, I think the area of, I guess, blockchain has brought up, um, even court cases around this, around is a token of security, is it not? Um, and there are, I guess, um, courts around the globe that are assessing that. Um, and I think there's a, a thing called the Howey test, which is a test that, um, I guess, regulators and uh, professionals would evaluate whether something, you know, does it, if it, it quacks like a security, if it walks like a security, as the case may be, well, you know what, then it is a security. Mm. The case and and leave be. aside, by the way, the uh, idea of a 100th share in a Ferrari, like, what are you going to do with that? I mean, if I, I, I would like to drive the Ferrari, do, it, you know, does that mean, <laughs> is that a timeshare? Do I get to go over and for 10 minutes sort of touch it or sit, sit behind the wheel? Um, and, and this, so this brings up another point. And the way I look at kind of tokenization and this this NFT space more broadly is that I think we touched on accessibility. So people have a chance to um, participate and potentially make an investment. Um, and then if they want to flip that and sell it at a later date, you know, hopefully they make a gain. Then so be it. Obviously, capital gains tax. Um, you know, depending on the jurisdiction you're in. So um, just need to, to say that as well. There may be capital gains. Or gains tax considerations. So accessibility. Well, there's there's always I, capital gains tax. It's whether or not it's actually applied. I mean, the last time I checked with the revenue, which was only a few weeks ago, actually, um, they are steadfast in their uh, policy around a lot of crypto assets. That no, 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 mm-hmm. capital gains applies to all of this. But that's all very well in theory. But um, it, from many of the individuals that I've spoken to who trade in crypto, um, some of them, I don't want to impugn an entire trading base, but some of them would not be typically the type who would be first uh, with the revenue deadline. You know? Yeah, I, what I'd say there is, look, um, I think the, the massive advantage um, that the revenue has is they have a, a, wide re- a wide reach into all sorts of different businesses, mm. and they also have time and can do things retrospectively. So it might not mm. be today, next year, or it might be in 10 years' time that they you get a brown envelope through your door here in Ireland. How do you know what color the envelope is? <laughs> well, I think oh, well. P60 is another yeah. other related information. They're, always, they're but, actually uh, always brown, uh, those letters. Yeah. Those letters. So look, I, that's the thing with the revenue. So um, you know, for me, you know, I guess what mm. certainties in life, death, and taxes <laughs> comes yeah, to mind. Absolutely. I, um, I I just want to mention a few other examples of things that have been uh, sold uh, via NFT. A sixty-second video by the artist and singer Grimes, um, who also at one point I think was the partner of a certain Tesla founder. Um, a GIF or GIF? Where do you stand? GIF or GIF? Animated. I say GIF. Okay. Very good, I agree. Uh, a gif of the Nyan cat. Apparently that was sold for a lot of money. And um, pins from the musician Dead Mouse. Um, and a lot and the biggest thing that I see when you go into something like OpenSea, um, sports trading cards. The amount yeah. of Americans that are into trading um for, for NFTs. Look, it's obviously a huge market there, and it's a nascent one. And I think the lesson of the last decade has taught us that. Those who initially sneer at the concept of this over time have been proven, 
don't want to say wrong because in the long term we still don't yeah but certainly they they have it hasn't proved to be savvy financial investment advice if they've been in that position to say that bitcoin for example or ethereum which is what a lot of this is um uh, a lot of this is is based on uh you, you know is is a dead um you know is is a dead avenue no 100% and i think the I think the way I look at it is, is that there's um, more tokenization NFTs is AMC, accessibility, market, what value do people you know, put, a, put a price on or a place on these tokens? And the last or element or the C is community. And I think this is the, the really important part. And we've seen this, I guess, over the last 15 years with platforms that have come out. This is the really important part. You're, you're providing accessibility um, on a marketplace for a community. So people who may be interested in those pieces of art but had no way of potentially, you know, transacting or participating with others in the exchange of value. Mm. Um, and these platforms like OpenSea that you mentioned or Nifty Gateway, um, these are opportunities for people to start, you know what, I'm interested in this area. Or it might even be the case that, you know what, if I see a painting that my mom liked, you know, that was affordable here and there was an Irish company or an Irish artist, I might be able to actually purchase a token and help her set up a digital wallet. And then I could give her that token. And then she may then show that with her friends. So then then you become kind of somewhat attached to that painting, to that story. And then to your point as well around the Ferrari, and I think this is what Kings of Leon did amazingly well when they brought out their album around the NFTs, is that they baked in experiences with the tokens. So if you bought a token, it was effectively like the Willy Wonka golden ticket. Some people won a golden ticket associated to the token, which then gave them, you know, front row seats at one of their concerts when we can go back to doing that kind of thing or backstage passes to meet the band. So it is a great way to build, I think, a community, but also engage fans in a digital way. Um, And I think I think this is this is going to be the big leap um, that NFTs will have opened um, and I think there's a lot more kind of stories to come from it but it's that it's that digital engagement of of fans and that goes back to your point around collectibles when when I explain or try to explain NFTs to people the thing that I get thrown back a lot at me is and in a good way is Laurie it's like those it's like those football cards I had when I was young those mm. panini football cards right I had them as well and I said it is it's a it's a it's like a digital version of that um, mm. where you're getting involved, you're able to trade, you're able then to interact with other people. So what I, you know, what I see happening out of this is I see big communities forming where people are interested in these areas. Like you mentioned artists there. I never knew that guy. Um, I, I never knew the background to the to the story of the artists going through Dublin Airport because I, I always thought those pieces were great. And, yeah, you, uh, you, actually, you'll see a lot of people uh, on their social media still use uh, his port. At one point, he did some work, I think, with the Web Summit as well. And he just was kind of around for around a year and a half, two years. He once actually offered to to, to uh, do one for me, but I, I don't know, I had some interview with Facebook or something that day. Um, uh, <laughs> but uh, he, he was around and uh, so you'll see an awful lot. He's a very particular style that he has. I remember asking him as well about how he did, because I have a big interest in photography. And mm. I thought there must be all this, you know, superb gear. He must be using like medium format Hasselblads. No, 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 not at all. He was, in many cases, he was using a little cropped format Sony camera with one light. 
and that was it. And he would just take a shot right there. And then they have this kind of dreamy sort of uh, look. I'm not sure if listeners, I think most listeners will have seen uh, some of these portraits, but they have this kind of dreamy, almost otherworldly look. Um, as if somebody's being preserved in real life formaldehyde in the moment. It, it's kind of a very, it's, it's a very distinct look. And I, I found them to be very peaceful as I walked through. Some people I know didn't like them, but I quite liked no, them. No, I, I thought they were, I thought they were, yeah. I yeah, they were pretty classy, but he, he's, he's a very innovative uh, guy. Um, he is a very, uh, he's a proper artist in many ways. Anyway, he's making a fortune at the moment selling um, art via NFT. And if you look at it, most of what he is creating and selling, it, they're, they're like canvases of binary code. They're a series of numbers, letters, um, alpha numeric uh, characters. And um, it it, have to, it falls into a classic case of the guy down the pub who you'd show this to. Say, oh, I could do that myself. I mean, you know, that's just a bunch of ones and zeros. But um, obviously not. <laughs> Um, you, cause you could level that at any type of art, um, abstract Absolutely. expressionism. And look, you know, and, and, you know, I, I could tokenize, I, I could create NFTs for a pen, but ultimately yep. no, no one cares. Right. Um, and so it's, my, if I create a hundred tokens of a pen, no one will care. No one will buy. They'll stay at, I'll, you know, the price I'll I buy set. one of your tokens for your pen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I haven't told you which they are, but, um, yeah. so. But, but well, yeah, the New York Times sold uh, a token to one of their columns as an experiment. You saw that. I think they donated the cash to charity, but it was a couple of hundred thousand dollars they got. Um, wow. Same as Jack Dorsey. Jack Dorsey's 2.9 million. I think he that just went directly to charity. So that may have affected the scale of the money that people paid for it. But yeah, they wanted to make a point, the, the New York Times. Um, will people actually pay for uh, a right to this column? But it's not really a right in the sense they can't take, they don't take over copyright for that. They can't sue somebody else for plagiarism. They don't have no. rights in that way. People's right, for example, Winkleman, Mike Winkleman's um, rights to his uh, digital canvas, they, he, I mean, he, he still retains some rights to that. Um, it's just that the person who paid $69 million gets to say that they own the first edition, maybe like the first edition of James Joyce Ulysses or something like that. And, and you know what? That may well happen. I think what mm. we're seeing, especially if you think of kind of galleries and museums and other institutions where they have had no footfall, I imagine their funding, I imagine they're looking at all sorts of ways to, to mm. raise funding. So that's I a think good idea. It, yeah. Yeah. I think as long as, as long as more, um, I guess as the, the pandemic continues, um, mm. I think as there's more uh, create, creations around NFTs, which gather publicity, mm. um, I think you're just going to see more of them. Now, I, you know, what I obviously say to you and, and everybody listening is, you know, if it looks like it doesn't make sense, it probably doesn't in the sense that if there's a, you know, a, a very expensive token for something you know, someone's back garden hedge. Well, you know, I, I'd be steering clear of that because obviously no one's going to care about, you know, one token of your back garden hedge. In theory, the market should sort that out though, right? I mean, if someone it, puts absolutely. A, a token for their back garden hedge, go ahead, you know, knock yourself out. <laughs> if the market responds to that with by somebody paying you 100 euro or 1,000 euro for a token to that back garden hedge, 
then maybe we're all wrong. Maybe there is some value to you because what is value? No, a hundred percent. And look, this goes, this goes back to, you know, I guess the dawn of the internet where people were just, you know, I have a crap business, but I went online um, and I created a website for it. Mm. That doesn't mean my business is good. That just means I've created a shop window for yeah. lots of people to see my, you know, my crap business. So I think the same common sense approach has to be applied to NFTs. So, um, and anything that you invest in. You mentioned art galleries and I can think of theaters. I'm used to seeing in uh, theaters like the Abbey, for example, you look at the first two pages, always friends of the Abbey, patrons of the Abbey, you know, gold star friends of the Abbey or whatever. And that's really how much you pay. Um, And, but it's a really good way if you actually believe in something. I like to think that some of these buyers of some of these uh, artworks via NFT, what they're actually kind of doing is supporting the artist, not for $69 million maybe, but for someone who, who, you know, pays 500 euro to an artist for an NFT to, you know, a, a digital uh, piece of work that they've, uh, that they've made. My interpretation of that is that they're supporting the artist. A hundred percent. And look, you know what, this could be the, the beginning of a conversation, you know, that, um, that you have, or I have, or we have, um, with different entities here in Ireland or with, uh, with the government to, you know, mm. set up initiatives around this. Mm. Yeah. Um, anyway, listen, I just, before you go, I want to bring up, um, Coinbase and it's monster, uh, valuation at the moment and whether it's worth and what it says about uh, the world at the moment. I mean, they're talking about a valuation of between 50 and a hundred billion dollars, which would be at the upper end around the combined value of the NASDAQ and the New York stock exchange. So of course the usual, um, observations now apply. I mean, can this be worth it? I look at this and I think back to, you know, if you research Brian Armstrong as the CEO of Coinbase and how it started, where he started um, and how the company has evolved. And I I just have so much admiration um, for what he has done and for genuinely for what the the team has done and the company has done to to bring it where it is today. So like, I I just think it's so incredibly impressive. my personal view is I think, you know, 50 billion to 100 billion is a big range, but I think it's going to be closer to the 100 billion uh, in terms of what happens. Um, I'm also very interested to see what it does in terms of the price of um, Bitcoin and other assets um, in the market tomorrow when it comes out. So that's going to be what, midday, one o'clock our time when mm-hmm. uh, the US comes online, the market's open. Um, so, so to see what it does to the crypto markets. Um I also think what it's also going to do, and I think there's talk of this already, that the other exchanges are also going to IPO, whether that's Kraken, I think in the US now, there's also talk of them doing it. So you're probably going to see um, Coinbase being the first to, to IPO, but yeah, more to follow. From from what I read, which I, I actually think is, you know, one of the best parts of the IPO is that people all over the world that work for Coinbase, no matter where you are, what level you are, everybody is getting a guaranteed minimum of 100 shares. Um, so I think that is also another incredibly admirable thing. They have a, I know for sure that Coinbase have a, a big presence in, in Manila in the Philippines. So some of those folks um, are, you know, they probably earn, you know, it could be $5,000 a year. Um, they're in for, you know, 40 grand um, or something like that. So I think, I think the, 
the way in which the, the shares are being equally distributed on, at that minimum level, I think is really admirable. So you think that this will uh, expand the base for people who uh, might have thought about crypto have seen for years that it's not going away, that there is seems to be residual value there, but just haven't been sure how to get into it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think over the last 12 months, one of the one of the things that has happened where people have gotten into, I guess, crypto and digital assets at a retail level is the fact that it's it's gotten easier. So people have purchased through Revolut um, and that the apps that Coinbase have developed and Gemini and other exchanges, Kraken and Binance, et cetera, crypto.com, um, they've all gotten a lot easier to, you know, to you know, scan your passport, your driver's license, fill in your details, and then you know, send money from your um, from your accounts, as the case may be, to to pre-fund. And I think that's been a big driver. And Coinbase has has embraced that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's I think it's yeah another another important moment in blockchain and digital assets evolution. And we've mentioned this before, but it's worth I think repeating. Um, the reason that people most people are buying this is actually as an asset. I mean, we keep talking about crypto as a currency, but really for there's only a tiny minority of people who even have any aspirations to use it as a currency. For the vast majority of people that are likely to buy and sell through Coinbase or that are buying and selling through Revolut or even traditional brokers, the, the, this is an asset that they're just hoping will increase in value. That, that there's, There still is something <clears throat> that... Um, worries me a little bit about that. I think of oh Hal Holbrook's character in the first Wall Street. Uh, he was a kind of a senior uh, executive at the firm, and he was talking to um, Charlie Sheen's character Bud Fox, and he was trying to impress upon him. Bud Fox was going mad, just trying to make money any way way he could, and the Hal Holbrook character would say to him, "Look, Bud, you've got to remember there has to be an inherent value and inherent logic." to what it is that you're buying and selling. Does the company have a basic inherent value in and of itself? And I'm not sure that a lot of people are thinking that way when they're buying crypto. Yeah, um, what can I say? I think we're back to that question around, you know, what is value and and the market mm. is, is, is pricing Bitcoin, you know, at a certain value, which I think today is around $61,000 mm. uh, last I checked. Um, and that is that's that's what the market is is saying uh, it's worth. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah sure. I, I think I think on the Coinbase front, I think as a from a company performance perspective, based on recent announcements, um, they are you know they are profit making um, and they're continuing to bring on new customers. So I think from a financial perspective, I think they're in a in a very healthy position. Mm. I, I remember one of the first podcasts I did. This podcast has been going out for three and a half, maybe four years. But one of the first ones I did was on crypto and Bitcoin. And I had a guy in studio. And at the time, I think the price had gone to $20,000. And people were thinking, this is insane. This is an absolute bubble. And he was telling me, no, it's going to go to $100,000 within about five or six years. And even then, it sounded a bit ludicrous. That sounded like a real moonshot. It just really doesn't anymore. No, a, a friend of mine I was talking to over the weekend, um, and he gave me a, a, just a really powerful stat. So it took ten years for um, 
for the Bitcoin market uh, and the crypto market to go from um, zero to one trillion. It then took 90 days to go from one trillion to two trillion. Mm. Um, now, read into that what you will. Yeah. But it is it just the pace of that is is phenomenal. It, it's there's still something nagging at the back of my head, though, in terms of the utility of Bitcoin and what it is used for. And I can't divorce that from the uh, questions around whether it's a good asset base to invest in or not at the pace at the at the, the at which its price is growing at the moment, because there still is this thing. Um, as, uh, you know, like what is what is Bitcoin used for? And you, you can make the argument for gold and diamonds. We've, we've talked about all of this before, and I'm very sympathetic to those points. I don't see the point in diamonds other than cutting rocks uh, or on a stylus um, uh, on a record player. And I don't really see the value of gold uh, either, other than uh, maybe for your tooth or something or for your cables, for your hi-fi. But it has value and it has had value for decades and centuries. And that's a fact. Um, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency are slightly different. It, it, obviously, they're they're different, but there still is something nagging away at the back of my head. You know, why is the value of cryptocurrency increasing, and what is it that, uh, at least with gold and diamonds, I know that if I give somebody a diamond ring, a golden diamond ring, they'll be absolutely thrilled. I'm kind of partially buying it for that. Uh, the, that's its fundamental utility to me because I can see the the result of me buying a piece of gold and a diamond. I can't see something similar to that with. I know it's a completely different. Maybe that's a facile comparison, but that that is nagging at the back of my head still. It is well. Um... Yeah, I wonder what they'd say if you gave them a Bitcoin instead. Um, would they well, be no, they'd be delighted. They'd be de- but no, I tell you what would happen. You give them a Bitcoin instead, they would go, oh, oh, and they'd quickly Google the price of the Bitcoin. And it would literally depend on what the price of the Bitcoin was as, as to their reaction. They wouldn't be delighted. There wouldn't be that moment of just eye-opening, jaw-dropping delight there and then for the Bitcoin itself. It would be, well, how much? yeah, whatever. How much is it worth? That's 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 the way it would, you know. It's like an old piece of china. You know, you see the antiques roadshow. Somebody comes out with some old Queen Anne piece of stuff, and you got they're kind of going, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, well, it's actually worth ten thousand euro. Wow, it's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, no. Look, I, I'm with you. I'm with you, and I think you're spot on. I think, oh wow, a Bitcoin, right? Yeah, Google. How much is it worth, and how fast can I sell it and turn it into into cash so I can probably buy other things that I want to buy? Um, and I think that probably is a, a natural reaction. Did you see that uh, documentary on Netflix about the art fraud? The it's it went up there a year. It's called Made You Look. Did you see that one? Okay. It was no, no. about a. It's the biggest art fraud in. History it was a couple of years ago. A New York dealership um, was conned by a somebody who convinced the dealer sh- that she had a number of very valuable um, abstract expressionist paintings from some of the big U.S. painters of the fifties, forties, fifties, and sixties, and the uh, painter bought the the dealer bought them and then resold them for you know 10 11 million dollars this went on for about six or seven years and then interviews with all of the people involved including the buyers and the buyers when they bought them thought they were amazing beautiful stunning as soon as they found out that they may have been copied um 
all of a sudden their view of the painting itself completely changed and they did no longer thought it was beautiful. Now that's a bit of a head wreck as well, because if you thought it was stunning and beautiful in itself, kind of, why does it matter that much? I, I get why it matters that it's a fraud. And I, you, what you're trying to buy is something that's authentic from the mind of the artist. I get that. And yet, you know, there's a wider conversation about the appreciation of beauty you know, or not, just because somebody, you know, painstakingly made a copy of, you know, another person's style in a painting. Does that mean that it's it's worth inherently less or that's not beautiful anymore? Um, so um, I, I don't know how I got into that. And I, I don't think that applies to Bitcoin uh, necessarily, but it, it it does apply to the metrics of value. That's the concept that you've been bringing up. Like what is oh, value? Look at it. It's totally, and I think Malcolm Gladwell has written about that, where he spoke about how um, there was a there was a piece of jewelry in a in a shop, and the the manager said to the assistant, "Hey, will you sell that when I'm away for a few days?" And then the assistant um, thought that the thought that it, the price was to have a zero added to it instead of taken away, and the the piece did not sell or wasn't selling for some time, but because the price went up it then sold because it was more expensive. So to your point, mm. we are, we as human beings can be very peculiar. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely can. I mean, Kevin Abosh sold a portrait of a potato for a million euro. Now <laughs> I've, you know, it made news headlines at the time. And it's funny because when you look at it initially, you might think, oh, it's kind of interesting or whatever. When you look at it and you know that it sold for a million euro, it's it's only human to start looking at it more. To, oh, okay, that's a really interesting. To oh, look at the way he played with light on the, on that side of <laughs> that's the potato. That's a beautiful potato. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and uh, and then there's also the fear of missing out, and that you're somehow not in tune with the sensibility, uh, the artistic sensibility of a large bunch of people. Well, there's something wrong with me that I'm not seeing the beauty here because everybody else values this and I don't. You know. Anyway, that's a different podcast and a wider conversation. Uh, Laurie Kyo, listen, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. Uh, Laurie Joe, adjunct associate professor at Trinity Business School and director in digital assets at BNY Mellon. Um, that's all we have time for this week. So for me, Adrian Weckley, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent, I'll see you same time next week. Bye-bye.